Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. Hear now the word of the Lord. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The music of the choir's song alone speaks deep to our souls, I think. It does for me, anyway. But the words, along with the music, powerfully express something that lies deep within us. And the choir's song called The Yearning brings, brings it up. It gives that something a name. It puts words to feelings that live deep within the heart, feelings that rarely, if ever, find the light of day. Uh, the word yearning alone is powerful and provocative. There's a draw, there's a pull, there's a certain gravitational force within our souls that longs and yearns for something deeper. We don't always know what that something is, but we know the pull. We feel the draw. We're moved by the gravity of an unspeakable yearning deep within us. There's got to be more to this life than this. There's got to be a better way. There's got to be relief, for as the song says, hearts weighed down by ancient grief and centuries of sorrow, hearts that in the darkness hide and in the shades of death abide. There's a yearning, a yearning for tomorrow, a yearning for a new day, a better day, a better life, a, a more peaceful world, a world in harmony among the different people groups and in creation as a whole, there is a yearning. And as we're open and sensitive to it, we, we can feel it and we know it deep within us. The Apostle Paul spoke about this yearning in his epistle to the Romans in chapter 8 when he writes, We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. That inward groaning is a yearning, a longing, a deep knowing that there is something more. Even to those of us who have experienced the first fruits of the Spirit, we know about that groaning. But even those who have not committed to following Christ know about this yearning too, Theologian John Calvin said that the seed of divinity lies within each one of us. 
within each image bearer of God, which, which means that it, he made you. Therefore, you have this longing, this yearning to be connected in relationship to the living God. Deep down, your soul knows and longs for that which truly brings life and peace and a lasting joy. What you may not know this morning is that that gravitational tug that you, you feel deep within your heart and soul is a yearning and a groaning for God, to be connected with God. Matthew's gospel opens in a way that represents the yearning and groaning of God's people longing and, and waiting for the Messiah to come. Sure, for us, it seems like the worst way to begin telling a story. Matthew chapter 1 with a long genealogy, right? So-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so and so on. You know. But it sounds boring to us, but the names in chapter 1 of Matthew are very important. They point to a royal line of Jesus that Matthew lists going all the way back to Abraham. His list includes five women, actually, who usually never show up in a Jewish genealogy of the day. The list includes sinful men and women, and also Gentiles and former Gentiles, all the people that Jesus would come to save. If you ever considered your own family line to be made of uh, sinners and unsavory folks, well, you're in good company. Jesus didn't come from a perfect family line. But he does come from the line of King David, to whom the promise was made back in 2 Samuel 7, a promise that the son of David would sit on the throne forever. And the genealogy ends like this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 16. It says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. On down the list, you get so-and-so fathered so-and-so until you get to Joseph, to whom it is said, was the husband of Mary. He was the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus. A very supportive role for Joseph there. There's also a definite human nature to Jesus that's being spelled out here as, he's, as we're being shown how he's part of this very human family with this long line of, of humans here too, showing that Jesus is very much has a human nature. And as, as you read each name, and if you know your Bible stories, as you read each name, the sordid stories of the past start to come to mind. You make a connection from a name to a story. And so you remember each victory. You remember the failures. You remember the exile. You remember the temple destruction. You remember the rebellion of God's people of the past. And through it all, you hear the groaning, the yearning for salvation of generations of God's people. There's got to be something else. There's got to be a different way. There's got to be someone who can restore things, who can bring peace and give us hope again. That's the Advent longing that we read here. An Advent yearning, and that's why we read these, this passage today on this fourth Sunday of Advent versus on Christmas morning. So, so really, instead of being boring, Matthew is building up anticipation here as he calls for recollection of the past. And he brings it all to a climax in the Messiah's conception and birth. And that's where we focus our attention this morning. The conception and birth of Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 18 begins, and this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, began or came about. It's a different story than Luke's story, isn't it? Luke gives us all the juicy details. The shepherds in the field, the angels, the animals, the baby lying in the manger, and, and even what's going on in Mary's heart, that she pondered these things in her heart. 
But not Matthew. Nope, Matthew's a different kind of gospel. Matthew's gospel instead is giving us the meaning, the purpose, the significance of the Messiah's birth. He's telling us why it's important instead of painting the picture for us like Luke does of the actual events that took place. Matthew also tells us about the importance of Joseph and how he fits in to God's plan of the incarnation. So earlier, uh, or elsewhere in, in the Gospels, we hear of the Mary and Elizabeth stories and how they said yes to God. Here, now, we're hearing a Joseph story where Joseph says yes and obediently follows God's lead, even if it doesn't make sense to him as God's plan probably didn't make sense to Mary or Elizabeth either, and even though it may cost him a lot. Joseph may have a supporting role here in the incarnation, but it's a vital role, an important role. Well, we're told that Mary is pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant, it says. And not that she was necessarily keeping it all secret for everybody, but four months about has gone by, and it's becoming pretty obvious that she's pregnant to Joseph and others. This is likely an arranged marriage where, according to Jewish custom of the day, the, the first year of this marriage for very a young couple, this would be possibly teenagers, this first year of marriage is called the betrothal period or the engagement period. She was pledged to be married to Joseph, it says. And this was serious business back in the day, this engagement time period. In some respects, they were already considered to be married except for maybe living together and, and having a sexual relationship. Um, the husband, as he was called, or as they were called, even in the engagement period, would have certain responsibilities and even rights over the wife. Previously, the angel came to Mary, as you know, and uh, during this engagement period, and announced the conception of the Holy Spirit, uh, by the Holy Spirit. And Mary, who, by the way, never asked Joseph for permission here at all, uh, said, yes, may it be to me as you have said. Right? This is the very famous and important uh, point of Mary being obedient and submissive to the word of the Lord to her. So after about a year's time, the wedding would happen and the man and the, the woman would consummate their marriage in a sexual relationship. But there's a problem here, isn't there? Mary is found to be pregnant during this engagement period. And this could only mean one thing to Joseph, right? That she had an affair. And this is a serious infraction of God's law and the law of the land. And we're not told how Joseph really felt about this, but you could just imagine how he would feel discovering that his bride is pregnant during this engagement period and, and he had nothing to do with it. The only righteous thing to do would be to remove himself from this relationship and the engagement. Everyone would understand. Everyone would expect him to do so and respect him for doing it. But the dilemma for Joseph, though, it seems he still cares for Mary. And he wants to show compassion to her, knowing very well there can be very severe consequences for adultery. Verse 19, it says, Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, it's one horn of the dilemma, he was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, the other horn of the dilemma. He's faithful to the law of God, but... He didn't want to expose Mary to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly, it says. 
So the solution to his dilemma is to quietly dissolve this relationship and this engagement. He only needed a couple of witnesses. He didn't have to make a big public spectacle of it. He didn't have to go and get DNA tests and go on some TV show and, and make his private life, you know, all for the world to see. He just needed a couple of witnesses to do that. So at this point, God has to intervene, though. Joseph's thinking about ending this engagement. You see, God wants to use righteous Joseph in his incarnation plans. It would be through Joseph that Mary and Jesus would be protected, provided for, loved, and cared for. It was through Joseph that Jesus would trace his line back to King David in fulfillment of the prophecy of long ago. Personally, Joseph here is at a crossroads. Joseph, did you know? It's like that song, Mary, did you know? Of course she knew. The angel told her. But, but the song should be, Joseph, did you know? Joseph, did you know? I don't think he did. You know, in a situation like this, it would have been easy and understandable for Joseph to just react. Just react out of his emotions. Couldn't you imagine that? The anger, maybe the rage, the sadness, the confusion, it all probably was really real to him. He could have just thrown her out right then and there, or even worse, in that era, in that culture. Who would believe some story about a conception from the Holy Spirit and some angel telling you this? But he didn't. Joseph didn't throw her out, or worse. He was going to sleep on his decision to divorce her quietly. And that's where God steps in. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, after Joseph had considered this, we usually skim over that pretty quickly, but I kind of, it could have stood out to me this time as I read it. But after Joseph had considered this, he took time to consider it, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. Now, this is the only time in the New Testament where anyone is called son of David except for Jesus himself. So it's a huge title for Joseph here. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Verse 24 tells us that when he woke up, Joseph, Joseph, excuse me, Joseph did uh, what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. So righteous Joseph immediately was obedient to the word of the Lord to him. He woke up and he was obedient. No more pondering, no more questioning, no more second guessing, no more making lists of pros on one side and cons on the other side of a piece of paper. No, Joseph was immediately obedient to the word of the Lord to him. Don't be afraid, Joseph. Don't be afraid of what other people think about you and your relationship with Mary. Don't be afraid of the ridicule and verbal abuse you might get because of this Holy Spirit conception story or the dreams that guided you in making your decision. Don't be afraid, Joseph. Fear not, the Bible likes to say, right? The incarnation stories are peppered with the words usually from angels telling us to fear not, fear not. You see, Joseph had a supporting role in the incarnation, but it was vital, it was important. Jesus had a dad who wasn't afraid to obey God's word. Jesus had a dad who was willing to follow God no matter what. Jesus had a dad who was willing to change his plans that he had made for his life, alter his expectations for his future, and choose to support and love this wife and child. 
Jesus had a dad who was compassionate, thoughtful, reflective, and sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus had an earthly daddy who was courageous and self-sacrificial. And God the Father was using him in his plans to help raise the Savior of the world and satisfy that longing, that yearning of generations of God's people for a Savior. God is doing a new thing. A new era is being ushered in through this Holy Spirit uh, conception and birth of the Messiah. Matthew tells us about the significance of all this, the importance of all of this, right? The birth of Jesus is a turning point in all of human history. There is a new covenant, a new stage of salvation history happening here. All this took place, it says in verses 22 and 23, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, prophet Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. In the birth of Jesus, God is fulfilling his promise of long ago. The significance, the importance of this child will be that he is God with us. So this passage is also pointing to the divine nature of Jesus, right? I already told you it was pointing to the human nature of Jesus being born of, uh, of a woman, being born into this lineage, this genealogy. But there's also a divine nature of Jesus, that he will be called God with us. Jesus, 100% human, 100% divine. Matthew shows us that Jesus is the son of Abraham. He's the son of David. And at the same time now, he is the son of God. So we, we don't get the juicy details here of the story, like Luke would tell us. But we do get the purpose of the birth. Joseph told the, is told by the angel to name his son Jesus, meaning Savior, verse 21, because he will save his people from their sins. And there it is, the purpose of the Messiah. It's not merely to give us a good example of what a loving person looks like. It's not merely to give us a moral example to show us how we ought to behave. No, the Messiah is much more than that. Jesus will save his people from their sins, the Bible says. He will provide atonement for sin. And that's the central purpose of the conception and the birth of Jesus. Just as the Catechism says, he is our mediator. And with his innocence and perfect holiness, he removes from God's sight my sin, mine since I was conceived. That is, he removes original sin and he removes the sins that I actually commit. And the exciting thing for me about reading that first part of Matthew along with our reading for today is that you get to see who his people are that he saves, both men and women rich and poor, great godly characters and great sinners, Jews and Gentiles. His salvation is for all who would receive him, for all who would believe in him. And when you read the whole gospel and you get to the end, what do you read at the end of the gospel of Matthew? Jesus says, surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. God with us acts or forms bookends for the gospel of Matthew. He will be Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus, at the end of Matthew, says, I will be with you. I am God with you. Our passage ends with Joseph uh, being obedient, as I mentioned, where he wakes up from his dream. He immediately does what the Lord told him, took Mary home as his wife. But it says he did not 
consummate the marriage until Mary gave birth. It's, you see, it's still a virgin birth according to prophecy, and Matthew wants us to know that. It doesn't say that they never consummated the marriage, as some traditions would have it today. Mary is not eternally a virgin. In fact, when Matthew uses the word until, it means that at some point they did consummate the marriage. And in fact, according to the Gospels, they had other children. So that's all I want to say about that. <laughs> that yearning of God's people of long ago was being fulfilled in Christ Jesus, our salvation and our Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus continues to fill the hearts of those who are yearning for something deeper in life. Maybe that's you this morning. Yearning, longing for something deeper in life. Maybe you feel the draw. Maybe you feel the pull, that gravitational force within your own soul that there's got to be something more to this life than this. And just eating, sleeping, working, and then you die. There's got to be some purpose, some reason why I'm here. Maybe you feel that in your heart. Maybe your soul is looking and longing for that. And there is purpose in following Jesus, his ways and his commands, and, and being part of a Jesus community called the church where we hold each other accountable and we learn to live together and grow together in our faith and our knowledge and our service of others in the name of the promised one for whom all of our hearts are yearning. But it does take faith takes an act of trust, surrender of our lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus, you take the wheel. I'm steering my life in all the wrong directions. Jesus, you take the wheel. Who knows? Maybe the Lord will speak to you tonight in a dream. Maybe, he will, uh, maybe it'll be through a new insight in his word. Or maybe it'll be through one of the Christmas hymns this season. Or through a trusted Christian friend. Fear not. Fear not. Like Joseph, wake up and be obedient to what God is calling you to do. Go where God is calling you to go. You may not be the star of the show, but even in your supportive role, you may be vital to God's purposes and plans for your life and maybe the lives of others. Would you join me in prayer? God, you speak to us and you call to us in our yearnings and our groanings for a better life, a better world, for something more, something deeper. Lord, we know this world is not as it ought to be. And our lives are not always as they ought to be either. And our hearts ache from the violence we see, from the brokenness in our families, in the conflict that we endure as a nation. God, our hearts long for peace within and peace throughout the world. We're thankful that the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, as it says in Romans 8. That even when we are not sure what to pray about, or how to think about a certain issue or topic, that the Spirit is groaning on our behalf as we wait the coming of the Lord. So draw near to us once again, O Lord, and renew our faith, refresh our hope, 
enliven our mission to share the good news to a yearning world. For this we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.